0: Hello, and welcome to my podcast, John Scott Lawton's English You Know. In this episode, I interview author N. Dean Mayer from the United States about his book, How Organizations Should Work, Envisaging a High-Performing Organization Made of a Network of Internal Entrepreneurs, released on June the 21st, 2022. If you're a leader responsible for transformations in your company or your organizations, this is the handbook for you. The handbook gives you a detailed vision, or a blueprint, of the end-state operating model to help you craft and shape and communicate your own vision. It gives you all the mechanics, the solid principles of design, and clear frameworks to help you design your organization in a fact-based manner. There are implementation processes detailed within the book, including a case study, and an analysis of many critical challenges, including innovation digital business, scalability, acquisitions integration, agility, and the founder bottleneck. There are also perspectives on transformational leadership and a book summary contained within the book. In our interview, I asked Dean to explain the language he uses within the book, which may be of great interest both to language learners, English language learners, but also to people working in management who need to understand the ways in which these concepts are developing and the language used to describe them is developing and changing over time. We bring the discussion right up to date with disruptors such as ChatGPT being discussed or, or artificial intelligence in general, And we also look at recent crises which are affecting the economy, which will inevitably have an impact on organisations. I hope you enjoy this podcast series. I look forward to hearing from you either by email or by perhaps uh, a message you might want to leave on the Spotify sound app. Thank you very much indeed. Dean, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Delighted to have you present here. i been looking forward to this for some time. So your book has gone down very, very well. I keep seeing LinkedIn posts coming up where people celebrate the work and they share the work and they talk about the work. So we'll get into that in some detail. But if I could ask, first of all, would you please introduce yourselves to us and then introduce the concept of the book? But first of all, a personal introduction from you
1: oh thank you john john it's a delight to be with you um a personal introduction to me i've uh, been studying the field of organization design for about 40 years and all from the perspectives that uh, all focused on exactly what we'll be talking about today so we'll we'll get into that but basically i'm a curmudgeon living in a cabin in the woods of connecticut and um, just yesterday afternoon there was a bald eagle sitting right in front of our dining room window oh
0: great
1: Oh, and uh, I know you're a Brit. Uh, You'll be pleased to know that I drive a Morgan.
0: Ha ha. Yes, the wooden car. Indeed. Wooden frame. (laughs) Yep. Okay. And... Tell me about your work in general terms and what's led you to this hut in Connecticut. Um, You know, the beautiful place to be. What do you do there in terms of your, cause you're still working now. So what did your career bring you and, and what are you doing now?
1: Well, uh, I'm, I'm a consultant and a coach to executives specifically on organizational issues and transformations. So um to this day i still work with a few select c-level executives who are committed to building really great organizations and i do real hands-on with them facilitation of workshops and then homework assignments and then the next workshop and the next to lead a senior leadership team through a transformation process and uh in my spare time uh, this is my eighth book probably my last and countless articles and speaking engagements and that sort of thing.
0: Fantastic. Great career. So can we get, before we get into the role of language, which clearly for me is the fascinating, well, every bit of this is fascinating, but the words we use to discuss transformations and change and organizations and how they develop. I was a former CEO myself and head of department. So, you know, I find this whole area amazing and fascinating still, but Before we get into the language, tell me a bit more about the transformations you envisage and and the implementation processes that you go through.
1: Oh, sure. Um, I think it's been evident for some decades now that the world is not like your grandfather's business climate. Um, Perhaps you've heard the term VUCA, V-U-C-A. That stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex and Ambiguous. And that describes the business climate we're living in. We've certainly seen evidence of that volatility, what with the war and uh, pandemic and bank collapse and climate crises, on and on. And count on that list, changing expectations from the newer generations of workers. So, um, in this very different environment, it strikes me that most organizations are not performing all that well. They're just not sufficiently agile and by agile i mean not that they're in constant uh, disruption you know changing their organization all the time but rather that they're able to quickly and dynamically recombine their capabilities to address ever-changing strategies so that they can respond to multiple strategies at the same time and quickly reconfigure when new strategies are warranted so the old hierarchical top-down command and control isn't working now hierarchy isn't a bad thing but the notion of top-down command and control through that hierarchy creates all kinds of bottlenecks for agility in this world we need to tap every bright mind we need to be able to pull just the right people together on every team just the right people just the right time with clear individual accountabilities and clear accountability for the entire initiative empowerment is really essential Now, let me define that word. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the word empowerment to mean this authorities and accountabilities are in balance. Authorities equal accountabilities. If ever you separate authority from accountability, I want to use extreme language here to illustrate. On one hand, the person with authority and without concomitant accountability mm-hmm. becomes an unconstrained tyrant on the other hand the person with accountability and not sufficient authority becomes a helpless victim who can't get the job done and a scapegoat when the decisions of the tyrant go wrong it doesn't work so one of the fundamental pillars of my thinking is empowerment authorities and accountabilities match and that is absolutely essential you need to tap every bright mind in this crazy world
0: Yes, things certainly are moving very fast, aren't they? And we mentioned their banking, and, and that's one of the areas where, you know, at the moment, this week in particular, just in March 2023, we've got banks collapsing and you know, restructuring, even big lending banks um, going bust. So this is clearly something that's happening on a global global level, not just within states or within companies, rather, but also within states, you know, nation states increasingly worried about their viability as economic entities. That term, pillar of empowerment, really one of the most essential elements, and we'll revisit that again when we, we look into the language, is one of the, the elements I read, one of the pillars in the book. Tell us about the second pillar, the second most essential foundation stone, if you like.
1: Sure, the second of two. And that is the business within a business paradigm in my vision of high performing organizations every little group is a business within a business an entrepreneurship it doesn't get budget to pay its costs it gets funding from the organization to from the institution to buy its products and services it knows it's accountable for delivering products and services to customers who may be inside the company or outside or perhaps a combination and it has suppliers other groups within the company that it depends on it knows it's responsible not only for delivering today's products but for keeping the business viable in the future so think about the implications of this John for teamwork Mm -hmm. let's say you've got a major enterprise initiative well there should be one and only one group somewhere in this company that is a specialist in exactly that so just as when you Build a house, you have a general contractor who hires the plumber and the electrician and so on. That group is the prime contractor, and the first job of the prime contractor is to line up the subcontractors, the members of the team, the support it needs from anywhere else in the organization. So, teamwork ripples across the enterprise dynamically just the right people at just the right time, clear individual accountabilities, a clear chain of command within the team. That is high performance teamwork, and that's agility because with each new initiative we have a new prime and they assemble a team of just the right subs you know there are so many other benefits to this business within a business paradigm clear accountabilities for one is uh note that these are accountabilities for results for products and services not going through the motions not roles in processes or responsibilities for tasks the results now and into the future they're thinking about uh, future products and services as edwin land said if someone's gonna obsolete your products it better be you mm-hmm. they're naturally customer focused they're aligned as they buy and sell from one another and i don't mean money changes hands please but there's internal alignment and innovation is everywhere mm-hmm. and, and you know perhaps most important is that sense of purpose people need purpose they need a sense that using their unique talents to do something hard something they can be proud of that has real value to others mm-hmm. now being part of an enterprise that has a good purpose a good mission you know that's that's good but what this does is bring purpose home every little group has purpose it sees that it's producing value for others so bottom line business within a business i think that's what leads to being a supplier of choice to your customers and an employer of choice to your staff
0: yes i'll just echo that point about purpose i think people are looking for meaning within their careers aren't they not just within their jobs but within their careers why am i doing this what's the benefit now your book does a great job of bringing that sense of purpose and that sense of entrepreneurship and teams within teams and internal entrepreneurs to life as a concept um and it explains well how that's done within organizations. What would you give us an example of how in- internal entrepreneurs work together within an organization?
1: Well, let's say you have three distinct product lines. A big company will typically organize into three distinct business units, each silos that are self-sufficient. They're missing out on economies of scale. They're missing out on synergies. And it becomes, uh, there's very high cost of entry to start at number four. Uh, it's difficult to integrate acquisitions into that world that's not a high-performing organization so imagine instead we have three distinct product lines and we have three distinct product managers or brand managers or PL managers and everything else everything else John is a shared service mm-hmm. so that product each of those product managers well they might buy market research from our marketing department to check out a new market opportunity they might buy design, product or service design, from the engineers within the organization, again, shared service. When they've got a product, they'll buy operations, that is manufacturing and logistics. Um, they'll buy business office, like import-export, uh, accounting, etc. Uh, they'll buy marketing communication to promote the product. They'll commission the sales. So the product manager or brand manager or p manager becomes the center of the spider web and subcontracts for everything else as a shared service you want to start a fourth business line of business you add a new p l manager and they have access to all the rich depth
0: mm-hmm. of
1: the entire company
0: and it's already so that would be
1: in a, that's a business within a business organization
0: so how does this type of organization change the way we think about strategy if we've got these shared services cutting right across the whole business.
1: Mm, and if we've got empowerment, it doesn't just come top down. Um, first, let me define how I would use the word strategy, see if you agree. I think strategy splits into two pieces. It's certainly not anything that's important or anything that's expensive or anything that I'm passionate about. Oh, that's strategic. No, it, I think it has a more specific meaning. Okay. I think strategy, strategic goals are, answer the question, what businesses do we wanna be in in the future? and then strategic initiatives answer the question, how are we gonna get from here to there? Mm -hmm. So I do believe that strategic goals can emerge from senior leadership, but then the ideas for how to achieve those goals, those can bubble up from all of our creative entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And when they do bubble up, they're proposed not just by that entrepreneur that thought of it, that, that would be the prime contractor, but they have to assemble what would be the team if it's approved the prime and all the subs and get a total cost of the initiative, a total impact risk and so on. So it's an entire team at that point and as these initiatives bubble up, there are funding decisions which of these are these sufficient to add up to that strategic goal, which of these are the best return. So there's a budget process that awards funding, not to cover your costs, but based on what we want to buy from you. Mm -hmm. a business-like fashion and execution we've got the team together it flies right through so i think strategy strategic goals may indeed come top down but strategic initiatives should be top down bottom up bubbling innovation bubbling up all over So the four are business strategy, capability strategy, talent strategy, and organizational strategy. Mm
0: -hmm. So I want to say something about disruptors in a minute, but if we just focus in on organizational strategy, it's a relatively new concept, vague to me sometimes. What's in it for you?
1: Well, organizations are ecosystems that we work in, and you can think of organizations as machines that can be programmed. Not that people, not that the human system is programmable, but the environment we work in, the ecosystem it can be designed explicitly. That ecosystem sends signals to people that guide their daily behavior and, in fact, their thinking and their attitudes. It's like, what if I tell you we got to control costs, John? We got to be lean and mean. <laughs> but now, in this fictitious company, your status, your ability to get things done, in fact, your title and your paycheck all depend on. How big an empire you got what are you going to do oh, you wave your arms about controlling costs and you build empires that's a perverse signal built right into the ecosystem. So to me, the most important job of the leader is to program that ecosystem, so that it sends the right signals, then we can empower people and by the very rules of the game they'll do the right things. So I found in the course of my studies five systems within that add up to that ecosystem that seemed to explain most of the signals people get there are three big ones that determine the overall shape of the organization and two little ones the big ones are structure resource governance processes and culture the little ones are best practices methods and tools and finally methods and consequences rewards and performance management so metrics is the last of those so that is how you implement a transformation by reprogramming those five systems and an organizational strategy says okay what's our vision where are we going with this not some cute little sentence or paragraph but a detailed blueprint of the end state organization
0: mm-hmm.
1: measure the gaps drive those gaps to root cause which of those five systems would cause our good people to produce poor results and then sequence the root causes, fix the root causes, not the symptoms, which means lay out an, a strategy on what you're going to do with those five organizational systems over the course of the next three to five years. That's what I mean by organizational strategy. You could also call it a transformation roadmap.
0: So, at this point, we've got a sense of the organization of the future and the challenges it will face and the the future that you envisage as well. Um, you've in, you've implemented that in a number of entities I know. It's a very different kind of place to work in, isn't it? So, what's this transformation going to do to people's heads, their hands, their minds, their sense of self and their identity? What's it going to do fundamentally?
1: leading a transformation is akin to being in the business of twisting minds, twisting minds from do to sell. Again, I'm not talking about money changing hands, but that whole um, paradigm from do to sell, from bureaucrat to entrepreneur, getting people to think that way is every bit the heart of the challenge.
0: We can now focus in on, on language. I think we've got to the punchline now. We've got all of these concepts and issues and principles and fundamental principles at that to think about. But in terms of the role of language in transformation, can you say a bit more about Twisting Minds and, and give us some examples of how that Twisting Minds works?
1: Sure. Um... I live in Connecticut, New England, just north of New York City, and we get snow here. Sometimes, a little light and fluffy dusting. Sometimes it's wet and heavy, and you hate shoveling it. Sometimes it's icy, and it's hell to drive on. Sometimes it's just slush. Okay, that's the best I can do at describing our snow. But the Inuit, the the Eskimos, um, have over a hundred words for snow, I'm told, and they see the differences. So language affects what we see and how we think. So to get everybody thinking like an entrepreneur, we need to be really precise in our language. Whether we're government or not-for-profit or a volunteer organization or um, a commercial entity, we we need to be conscious about using the language of business as we describe our relationships with one another.
0: And that's very helpful because people often come to me wanting business english and i'm thinking okay is there a particular language called business english there's a nuance of language and a style and a kind of formality to language but it's interesting how english is being used as an international language for some of this discussion and debate and principally your book is written in english so it's very useful to delve into the language to dig deep into it so let's get some examples what do you think of the way we use the word own You know, I own this product. I own this process. You know, do you own what you're doing? What does it mean for you? Well,
1: you know, in English, the word own means to have possession of an asset and the authority to determine the disposition of that asset, to decide what to do with it, who gets to use it, uh, when to upgrade it, when to dispose it. That's what ownership is. And uh, let me guess, John, you own a car, right?
0: I do. a 16-year-old Land Rover
1: oh fun um you own that car it's yours you decide who gets to ride in it you decide where it goes you decide um when you're done with it and you want to move on now in business today the word own has taken on a slang meaning, meaning that is of concern to me people like uh, there are it people where their applications engineers say we own applications financial people who say i own financial planning what they're saying is they're using the word own to mean accountable for delivering but in that context if you use it the slang that way okay car dealers own cars because they're accountable for delivering them right use the slang that way now people start to think well if i own cars i get to make all those decisions who gets to use it when to enhance it when to replace it And now, instead of customers deciding what they buy, suppliers say, I own applications. That's my application. Uh, Clients in the business, you can help me with it. need your input. But it's my job to optimize that application. And it completely undermines the internal customer supplier relationships. It disempowers the customer who can no longer um, control a critical factor of production. it's a really, really insidious use of language. Mm-hmm.
0: And dangerous in that respect. Because mm. choices are being made by the wrong people there.
1: It leads um, people to think differently. It leads people to think. Um, it leads suppliers to think that they get to make customers' decisions for them and then foist whatever they come up with on their customers. Mm-hmm. It actually undermines the whole notion of customer.
0: And then they're like, surprised when people don't buy it. Yeah, yeah
1: or don't use it. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Many people in Europe are enamored with Agile, particularly within IT projects and the, you know, the transformation projects that go on within organizations, again, particularly with technology, and the notion of product. How do you see those two terms, Agile and Product?
1: Well, um, first, in a business within a business organization, every job is defined by the business it's in. Every box on that organization chart is an entrepreneurship that is by definition accountable for delivering a set of products and services. So that's a good thing. Product focus is built into the organizational ecosystem in that kind of world. Now to the word agile, agile is an engineering development method. It includes the concept of wayfinding, which is basically prototyping, you do it you do a chunk take a look at it have your customer take a look at it give you more guidance and then you do another chunk another iteration so that's a good thing but now as we wrap around agile these so-called scalable frameworks and start using terms like product owner oh did you hear that word owner in there uh well now things get a little dicey in its original form the product owner was the customer out in the business the customer who bought that application from it okay that's good use of language but now with that slang that slang use of the of the term own product owners are now appearing in it in the supplier side and they start to disempower customers or worse view customers as helping them with their objectives of optimizing the app instead of the other way around so I'd be cautious about that term product owner It could be bad if you're applying it to the supplier as distinct from the customer who will ultimately own the asset. Uh
0: And how about this word sponsor? Because that's something we've discussed uh, offline as, as being troublesome as well. Sponsor.
1: Ah, So John, you've got four kids. Imagine you take your kids to the candy store. Are you a sponsor? what what the heck does that mean yeah. look you're either a purser or the real customer now if you're a purser what you do is you give the kids some money and say spend it however you please and they are empowered to make the purchase decision so they are the real customer you're the just the source of funds on the other hand you could be a customer kids go point out stuff you want and I'll decide what to buy
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's one of those two do I call you a sponsor how do you know which of those two you are? Sponsor's vague. It's unclear what authorities are there, what accountabilities are there.
0: What about another one that's bandied around, that's thrown around, partner? How does that respond to your model?
1: Uh, and then so, this is a similar one in that um, could be good, could be bad. Partnership is a wonderful thing some sort of sense of shared destiny but let's be careful here shared accountabilities are akin to no accountabilities oh i thought you were doing it No, no i thought you and shared authorities only lead to a tussle people um, struggling with one another for control it leads shared accountabilities and authorities lead to me meddling in your business decisions and you meddling in my decisions Ultimately, it leads to stress in a relationship which undermines partnership. Mm-hmm. Using the word partner is vague. Shared accountabilities, if that's the implication, undermine great working relations. What I propose instead is that respectful customer-supplier relationships with distinct accountabilities, synergistic but distinct accountabilities, leads to the best quality collaboration. It leads to the best partnerships. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, we'll come to that again in a sec. Just another word I want to throw in that winds a few people up. In other words, it irritates them. Stakeholders.
1: Yeah, yes, it sounds so cool, doesn't it? But it's the same sort of thing. It could be used constructively or inappropriately. So stakeholders technically are people who, the different parties who have an interest in something like a decision, or can materially contribute to that decision. Either they're affected by the decision or can materially contribute or both. So a good use of the term stakeholder is when there's a shared decision, like a leadership team coming together on a policy that they all will agree to abide by that everybody will have to comply with. Well, if the policy is something that everybody has to comply with, go to the golden rule authorities and accountabilities have to match. If it's something everybody has to comply with that is an accountability, then everybody has authority over it. So we gather together the group of stakeholders to make a shared decision. So that's a good use of it. But when you use it in the context of a project, it's back to that notion of partnership. Um, uh, You got to be careful here. A good use of it is a customer individual, a person, representing a whole bunch of customers throughout the business unit speaking to it or whoever the supplier is fine that person represents stakeholders that's a good use of it because those stakeholders have to come together on what they buy from it it's a shared decision a bad use of it is is in lieu of the customer and the supplier and the project team Hmm. Um, because then you're back just like partnership If you use it within a project team you're back to that vague notion of we're all stakeholders we're all meddling in each other's accountabilities Mm -hmm. and pointing fingers to one another when it comes to those accountabilities meddling in each other's authorities and disempowering everybody
0: let's just unpick that a little bit more distinguish if you can for me between accountabilities and responsibilities i used to have a model of this which was a bit too simplistic how do you see it
1: i'd like to hear your model john generally i don't distinguish mm-hmm. that is you either 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 you have to deliver something or you don't mm-hmm. if are you-, you are accountable for delivering something i mean that could be at two levels right you could be accountable for delivering a specific product or service that is a project or a service or you could be accountable for delivering a successful business within a business a ses- successful year from your function Mm-hmm. but um the risk of separating them and then i want to hear your your thoughts mm-hmm. the risk of separating them is back to the golden rule of empowerment i'll give you an example um there some people are enamored with this technique called raci r a c i and it separates our responsibilities from a accountabilities and it defines responsible as the one who is directly responsible for successfully completing a project task they're on the hook they've got to deliver I get that they define accountable as the one with final authority over the successful completion of that task mm-hmm. and just by separating them those could be different people one with accountability for delivering the other with authority for telling them how to do so fundamentally disempowering
0: mm-hmm. yes, so uh, the that's the risk exactly. of self. yeah for me um there was a bit of a negative uh sort of spin to mine, if you like, because (laughs) maybe it implies that um, things weren't going well. But for me, accountable often was the person who would get into trouble if something didn't work well. So they would take the blame. They would take the, you know, they would be, that's where the book, if you like, stops. And it could be to do with hierarchy. It could be to do with responsibility, but it was more than responsibility. It was the one who really had to explain themselves when something didn't work. But it can be spun in the positive as well. They are the ones who led a project. So I think it's a bit too, as I said at the beginning, I think it's a bit too simplistic, but there was a distinction there between the one person or the one department maybe that was going to be held accountable. We use those phrases as a Mm -hmm. collocation, um, should things go badly, but hopefully also get the praise maybe, although that should be for everybody, when things go well.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I don't object to your definition of accountable. If you are responsible for delivering a project, then you are accountable for project results, good and bad. If you are responsible for running a business within a business, then you're accountable for the performance of that business. So in, in my world, there's a one-to-one equation there. The, the words mean pretty much the same thing to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's pick up on some other words because i think we've we've just got time um ones that i've noted in the book governance how do you approach the notion of governance because particularly in financial crises and at other times this comes to the fore and people said okay who was monitoring who was supervising what was going on where again maybe this is mm-hmm. the accountability question where was the governance
1: mm, yeah so some people equate the word governance with oversight People whose job it is to make sure other people don't make a mistake or to catch them when they're doing something wrong, uh, an audit function of sorts. I would define governance much more broadly. Governance is all of the mechanisms by which we coordinate and control our resources and our actions. And within that realm, there certainly is oversight as one form of governance, but there's also systemic governance, which is where you build in, you design those signals, you build the organizational ecosystem to induce everybody to do the right things. It essentially aligns personal best interest with enterprise best interest. And when you do that systemically, um, there's no need for oversight, people will naturally do what's best for them and hence best for the enterprise. Mm -hmm. Now, oversight is the most expensive and least effective
0: Form of governance. Mm. Dean, that's been fascinating. There is absolutely no substitute but for reading the book, and people need to get hold of it if they can. We've done our best, I think, to give. Uh, A good synopsis of what's contained in the book and the issues around it, and particularly the language issues, which is what first led me to want to contact you, because I thought this is a different way of looking at some of these words, and I needed to understand them so I could apply them properly. Um, Good advert now for your book, um, How Organizations Should Work. Uh, The book is available on Amazon. I'll put details about the book and links directly to that page on the podcast description and you can learn more about uh, yourself, Dean, isn't it, at ndma.com. So that's M for November, D for Delta, M for uh, Mike, A for alpha.com, .com, ndma.com. Dean, thank you very much for everything. And this has been a fascinating tour through your book. As I say, a bit rapid. We'll need to give people time to digest. The beauty of a podcast is people can stop, pause, play, rethink and replay so this is really hopefully going to help people a lot in their understanding of the future of our organizations i don't think it's ever been more critical um, to understand them because they are going to change shape tomorrow if not today
1: john it's been an absolute delight uh, thank you so much so much for including me in your podcast series
0: thank you dean take care now
1: bye john